there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you go? New York. You're a big Broadway fan? I want to see Greenwich Village. You want to be a beatnik. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. What about you? Greenwich Village. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. I've heard the coolest people move there. If you could breathe in space or breathe underwater, which would you choose? Did you smoke your roommate's cigarettes? Why all the questions? (laughs) It's a beautiful day out. The sun is shining and there's absolutely nothing to do. I'm bored. Close your eyes. Take a nap with me. Outside? What are we, bums? Was Kerouac a bum? If he slept outside, yeah. The lady doth protest too much. Come on. You can use my jacket for a pillow. (sighs) (laughs) (sighs) See? It's nice. Just lay with me for a minute. What was that? Nature. It's majestic. Lay back down. It sounded like someone in the trees. It's a public park. Other people are allowed to be here. Shut up. It's it's just odd. That someone is walking? They're hiding. Did you think it's because a crazy lady is watching them? Do you think we could pack up? Because someone else decided to have a picnic too? Come on! You're being ridiculous. Oh my god, he's got a gun. What? He has a gun. Brian, get up. Get up. We need to get out of here. A pleasant day picnicking at Napa County's Lake Berryessa soon took a turn when Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell saw a man dressed all in black walking towards them. He had a crosshair spray-painted onto his bib and a gun pointed towards the couple. Don't run. I'll shoot. He told them he was an escaped convict on the run from Montana and demanded their car so he could flee to Mexico. Of course. Uh, Here. There's the keys. See? All yours. Brian. I'll need money. Sure, sure. It'll be expensive in Mexico. I'm reach I'm reaching for my wallet. Alright? No sudden movements. Uh, I'm I'm just getting my wallet. It's not much, but it's all yours. I have I have my purse, sir. If you reach in, you can have my money too. Get down on the ground. Lay flat. We are, sir. We're not causing any problems. Hey, hey, it's all right, see? He's just making sure we don't chase after him, right, sir? But you don't have to worry. We won't, we promise. Take anything you want. The man had brought a pre-cut length of clothesline with him. Tie him. You can do it, see? Tighter. Uh, Do it uh, tighter. Cecilia bound Brian's hands behind his back, and the assailant went behind her and tightened the ropes. He then tied Cecilia up. If you leave now... You could make it down to Monterey by night at least. You could be in Mexico tomorrow. 
Please just leave us alone, sir. Please. Please take the car and let us go. See, look at me. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> what at first seemed like an odd robbery turned into a double stabbing. Brian was stabbed six times and Cecilia was stabbed ten. Passing boater Ronald Fong heard Cecilia's screams and immediately tried to assist. He found the college students bleeding out, but no Zodiac. Ma'am, ma'am, you have to stop struggling. You're, it's making you bleed faster. When Ranger Sergeant William White arrived on the scene, Cecilia was still cognizant enough to give a description of the attacker that would become the basis for the famous police sketch of the Zodiac. Try to stay still, ma'am. He was, he was heavy. He lumbered. Anything else, ma'am, could mean we catch this guy. He had black, black hair, curly, and fell out of his hood. When is the ambulance getting here? It's on its way. Stay with us, sweetheart, all right? Brian survived the ordeal, but Cecilia did not. She lapsed into a coma and died while in the hospital. Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. This is episode number 27 of Unsolved Murders and the conclusion to our Zodiac investigation. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. With the shadow of the Zodiac Killer looming large over the Bay Area, Northern Californians lived in a perpetual state of distrust and fascination. And his letters and ciphers were printed on the front page of the major Bay Area newspapers, and it became a test of skill to crack them. The ciphers looked deceptively simple, until you actually sat down to attempt them. Okay. How many of these symbols are reprints? It looks like four. No, five. No. The Zodiac arranged a series of symbols into a square. Each symbol was meant to represent a letter of the alphabet, but even here he got creative. Look for doubles. Two symbols next to each other that look the same. It's gotta be the same letter. You know there are labs that do this shit full time? Just send it there. The killer would often use several symbols at a time to represent the same letter to throw off the would-be code breakers. And it worked. Sometimes. His most dangerous game cipher was cracked in three days in 1969 by a schoolteacher and his wife in Salinas, California. But one of his more difficult puzzles wasn't cracked until the 2000s. The ciphers were intricate at their core and allowed the enraptured public a harrowing glimpse into the mind of a deeply disturbed man. I like killing people because it's so much fun. It's more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It's even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise, and all the people I've killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name, because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. 
But it wasn't until the Lake Berryessa attacks and the murder of cabbie Paul Stein that the public was even able to put a face to that disturbed mind. The Zodiac was as good at covering his tracks as he was at bullying the newspapers into giving him free publishing space. No DNA evidence turned up to snag a suspect. And despite all the correspondence, the SFPD circled the drain for years until the letters abruptly ended. Their prime suspect, Arthur Lee Allen, was reluctantly cleared as a suspect when extensive DNA evidence found no match. But that didn't stop the police from digging into a cold case in Southern California. Three years before the Zodiac's first murder, a similar crime shook Riverside. Remember, Sherry, we're closing down at nine. I know, this paper's ridiculous. Seven pages due tomorrow. When did you start? Today. Oh, well, that'll do it. I almost have all my sources, though. Okay, I can wait five or so minutes to lock up if you need. Thank you so much. You're a lifesaver. Sherry Jo Bates was studying at the library on the Riverside City College campus when she was last seen. Sherry, sweetheart, you know I want to help you, but I gotta lock up. I'm almost done. The library will still be here tomorrow, I promise. We're open every day. All right, all right, I'm packing up. Next time, come see me before it's crunch time. But then we wouldn't get to have our little talks. <laughs> Hope your paper is half as smart as your mouth. You and me both. At 10.30, neighbors heard a scream, and the police sent to investigate the disturbance found Sherry's body. She'd been beaten and stabbed to death. As tragic as it was, Sherry's death was not particularly remarkable. It's a dangerous world we live in, and numerous people have lost their lives in similar ways. So what piqued reporter Paul Avery's attention enough to get his suspicions to the SFPD? She was young and beautiful, but now she's battered and dead. She's not the first, and she will not be the last. I lay awake nights thinking about my next victims. The Riverside Police and local newspaper Riverside Press Enterprise were mailed a typewritten letter titled The Confession. Maybe she'll be the beautiful blonde that babysits near the little store, walks down the dark alley each evening about seven. Or maybe she'll be the shapely blue-eyed brunette that said no when I asked her for a date in high school. A poem was found around the same time, carved into a desk at Riverside Community College, where Sherry attended. It was titled, Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. It described in graphic detail how Sherry was stabbed. And six months after the murder, the Bates family, the Riverside police, and newspaper all received a handwritten note. Bates had to die. There will be more. C. The handwriting and the punctuation seemed too similar to the Zodiac letters to ignore. Well, the link was tenuous, but once again seemed to point in the direction of Arthur Lee Allen. Detectives in charge of the case, Dave Toshi and Bill Armstrong, buckled down on their hunch. You're a very punctual man. I like to be on time, yes. You like to come to work, too. I have your record from Calaveras County School District. You'd earned nearly 20 sick days. How many did you end up taking? One if I remember correctly. You do. You only took one in your entire career there. Why did that end again? <clears throat> I've made mistakes in my life, and I have done my best to atone for them. Molesting your students is a pretty big mistake. 
isn't it? Halloween, 1966. Did you tell me where you were? I was in Pomona, Southern California. I know where it is, thank you. So you were in the area during the Riverside murder? I've never visited Riverside. It's only about 30 miles. You're saying you've never taken that drive? No, I haven't. Interesting. See, it is interesting. The one day you decide you just couldn't come into work just so happened to be November 1st. That was just two days after Sherry's murder, wasn't it? That's an unfortunate coincidence. Unfortunate coincidences seem to follow you around, don't they, Arthur? In the Zodiac's first cipher to be published in the San Francisco newspapers, the killer calls man, quote, the most dangerous animal of all. Some of you may recognize that as the theme behind the short story, The Most Dangerous Game. Arthur Lee Allen's friend, Don Chaney, recalled his obsession with the book, which they had discussed. I didn't care for the movie. What? The Most Dangerous Game. They made it into a movie in 1932. People call it a classic, but I didn't connect with it. What was wrong with it? Zaroff hunted because he loved it. It was joyful. The thrill of the hunt. You could really get into his head when you read the book. Who would want to get into that head? It would be challenging. Hunting people? Sure. They have intelligence like animals don't. They can anticipate your moves. It would be the ultimate challenge, wouldn't it? Don't sound like you admire that guy. I just like the story. Well, maybe. Don't tell people that. It's weird. Allen's preoccupation with murder literature didn't stop with Richard Connell. According to Cheney, Allen was working on a novel and often would tell his friends about the story's twists and turns. He would tape a pen light to his gun like the police do. They wouldn't know what hit them. That won't fool anyone. It'll fool enough. Where do you come up with this stuff? Just vivid imagination. But how much of it was truly just fantasy? Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to the story. Don Cheney? Yes, sir. I'm ready for you. And Cheney went to the police once Alan's book became increasingly elaborate. He said he would run cars off the road and loosen their tires so they couldn't drive away. Like that pregnant lady said in Modesto. Uh, Kathleen Johns. That's the one. And this was a book he was writing? He says he is, but I've never seen him write anything. It's just... He's saying some crazy stuff. Like what? I was thinking he'll wear makeup, change his nose, change his chin. So they won't recognize him in between? Exactly. He'll send letters. To the families? To the police. Real nasty stuff. Why would he do that? To prove he's smarter than them. To stick it right under their noses and still get away with it. He said all that? Yeah, but that's not all. So what's the rest? He bought a new watch. Loves it. Can't stop looking at it. It has a cross with a circle around it on the face. Like a crosshairs? Exactly like that. In his book, he's going to have the crosshairs as the killer's signature. And the brand of Arthur Lee Allen's beloved watch? Zodiac brand. The circumstantial evidence was convincing enough to garner a search warrant for Allen's home in 1972. Seems like an open and shut case, right? Ballistic tests turned up a match between the bullets used in the Lake Herman road killings and the ammunition in Allen's trailer. Michael Majot, who survived the 4th of July shooting that claimed Darlene Farron, gave perhaps the most damning piece of evidence in the investigation decades later, in 1992. I'm going to show you several lineups, all right? And I point the guy out. I know. No. 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 <gasps> That's him! 
He's the man that shot me. Michael Majot immediately picked Arthur Lee Allen out of the lineup. But despite what appears to be the mountain of evidence, the SFPD was never able to actually put together a cohesive case. Saliva found on the envelope of one of the letters was tested against a piece of DNA evidence, and no match was found. And the search warrant in 1972 only allowed the police access to Allen's trailer in Santa Rosa, California, not his permanent home in Vallejo. His home in Vallejo that, coincidentally, was a mere four minutes away from the 4th of July murder crime scene. But Allen was Teflon. As odd as the man was, he had plausible rebuttals for every shred of evidence that could link him to the murders. Such an open-ended crime meant anyone odd could feasibly fit the profile. The phenomenon is known as Daddy Did It, colloquially nicknamed for the numerous children who came forward to accuse their fathers of crimes retroactively. In the 2000s, two completely unrelated authors both published books with startlingly similar premises. Most Evil, published in 2009, and The Most Dangerous Animal of All, published in 2014. Both were books claiming to be conclusive proof that the author's father was the Zodiac Killer. As for Most Evil, the author of that book will be familiar to regular listeners of the show. He was a man by the name of Steve Hodel, a retired detective. The year before this book was published, Steve Hodel had already released a book claiming his father was responsible for another gruesome murder. It was called The Black Dahlia Avenger. We go into depth on Steve Hodel and his father in the Black Dahlia episode of this podcast. His original book suspecting his father, Dr. George Hill Hodel, of being the Black Dahlia murderer, has plenty of intriguing evidence and presents a strong case, providing insight into the life of a clearly disturbed man. But his following book, claiming Dr. Hodel was also the Zodiac Killer, has far less in the way of evidence and far more in the way of speculation. Dr. Hodel did not even live in the United States during the period when the killings occurred. Steve also said his father used the Zodiac symbol in writing before the murders, but he was hardly the only one. He thinks his father's name is in one of the Zodiac ciphers, but he's never provided a key that shows this. Dr. George Hill Hodel was a violent man who kept the company of other violent men and sex criminals, but there's next to nothing to support the theory that he's the Zodiac Killer. On the other hand, author Gary L. Stewart garnered far more press and attention with the release of his book, which also claimed his father had a sordid past even before any killings occurred. I don't care what you say, Elvis is still the coolest singer. You're so old-fashioned already, Judy. You're not turning 15 next year. You're turning 50. Well, then I'd better stop eating lunch with babies like you. (laughs) You haven't even heard Dion. I so have. They play The Wanderer every 20 minutes. Oh, I wish it was every 10. Gross. It's sexy. It's no good luck charm. Well, yeah, I'm with you there. It's so much better. (laughs) I'm gonna go get a malt. You're right, you know. Excuse me, sir? About Elvis. (laughs) You heard all that? So embarrassing. She's off her rocker. You're telling me, Dion. You got somewhat of an old soul, don't you? How do you mean? Most kids your age, they like whoever the hottest new artist is. Some one-hit wonder who has a song all over the radio for half a year, and then we never hear from them again. I know. Elvis has been here for seven years, and he's not going anywhere. Okay. I've got a question for you. Shoot. Favorite Elvis album? I mean, the new one, Something for Everybody, is really good, but... Let me guess. Your favorite? 
is Elvis Presley. Actually, the one that's just Elvis. So close. You guessed my second favorite, though. Still, second favorite isn't favorite, so I was wrong. I owe you a shake. Oh no, that's okay. No, no. I insist. Well, I can't turn down a free shake. <laughs> you have something right there. No. Here. There. <laughs> a little more. Thanks. Here. Wouldn't want to look silly. You couldn't if you tried, doll. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now let's continue the story. Earl Van Best Jr., the father of Gary L. Stewart, was 28 years old in 1962. He met the 14-year-old Judy Chandler at an ice cream shop, and they were married that same year. Not long after, he was arrested and sent to prison for statutory rape. The scandal made headlines all over San Francisco and was called the Ice Cream Romance by The Chronicle. The Chronicle, milking the story for all it's worth, even conducted a prison interview with Van Best. I can't help the difference in our ages. I love Judy, and she loves me. It was love at first sight. I'd marry her again tomorrow. I love her. I want her to have the dignity of having our baby in marriage. Earl's desire for the marriage wouldn't come to be. It was annulled shortly thereafter, but they did have a child together, Gary L. Stewart. His wish for a child must have diminished, however, because when Gary was still a baby, Earl Van Best Jr. left him and Judy and never spoke to them again. But that didn't deter Gary's infatuation with his father and eventual mistrust. Who does this look like? Joe Montana. Don't be an asshole. Really, look. I don't know. Just a normal guy. But he does look familiar. It should have. It was the Zodiac's crime sketch. Now look at him. That's the same guy. You think? I mean, similar enough. Kind of looks like you, actually. It should have. Gary had handed him a photo of his father, Earl Van Best. Gary became fascinated with finding out any information he could on his estranged father. And the deeper he dug, the more convinced he became that his family tree held some nasty surprises. He and his co-author, Susan Mustafa, decided to compile their findings into a book aptly titled after his famous cipher, The Most Dangerous Animal of All. So why did he hate Avery so much? Jealousy. Be serious. It was probably the articles. Paul Avery wrote a series of articles on the ice cream romance, which Van Best became infuriated with. The pair stumbled onto more pieces of a puzzle that Stewart quickly believed revealed his father. Gary, look at this line. No... No, that one's just nonsense. He left it blank. It isn't linear, but I think we have something. In one of the numerous ciphers promising the Zodiac's name, Mustafa's agent believed Van Best's name was scattered in the extra letters. Look at the backward B. Yes, I see it. There are several like that. All backwards. They spell your dad's name. Earl Van Best Jr. Where did you find Jr.? That's the best part. Those extra symbols aren't extra at all. He pointed out a series of symbols and through some frankly impressive mental gymnastics, determined that they spelled Junior. It was tenuous at best, but Gary believed it was simply another nail in Van Best's coffin, along with his scarred thumb. Look, look there, see the slice? Yeah. Flip the other print. Stewart and Mustafa pored over the crime scene photos, including the fingerprint recovered at Paul Stein's murder scene. Mirror it. (sighs) They fit. They goddamn fit. Van Best had a distinctive scar across his thumb that the print also had. 
with some creative flipping and mirroring. Stewart's book heavily relied on circumstantial guilt and managed to link Van Best to the Manson family. Before Bobby Beausoleil became infamous for orbiting the Manson murders, he was a small-time actor and musician. Stewart presented concrete damning evidence Beausoleil had once emailed him, claiming he had jammed with Van Best before Charlie Manson ensnared him. The most dangerous animal of all was widely questioned for its biased reporting and thin evidence. The strongest link between them appears to be the uncanny resemblance between the two men in the police composite. However, a visitor to Napa, California, believes Stewart was right on the money. The year was 1969, and Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell had just been attacked in nearby Lake Berryessa. Ma'am? Ma'am? More coffee, please. Coming right up. Publicist Chris Harris was visiting Napa from Los Angeles, where he was compiling information for a documentary on the active killer. He stopped into a local diner for lunch. Here you go. Fresh pot. Thank you. It was meant to be a quiet lunch, a break from relentless sleuthing, but Harris noticed another diner shooting him glances. You have no idea what it's like to have to kill. I'm sorry? The non-sequitur understandably disturbed Harris, and he quickly left the diner. But it was the 1960s, and he eventually brushed it off. Until he saw Earl Van Best's photo on the cover of The Most Dangerous Animal of All. This is the man who was in that diner. Had Van Best somehow overheard what Harris was researching and lashed out at him the way he wanted to at Paul Avery? We don't know what prompted the conversation, only that Harris sat in terror, waiting for the other man to pack up in the diner. If Van Best was the killer, he managed his escapades without attracting any attention before he broke his silence in that diner. The SFPD, for what should seem like obvious reasons, did not put forth effort to investigate Van Best. The trail was once again cold. Now, you know we couldn't do this episode without addressing one of the most absurd popular jokes of 2016. Hashtag CPAC alert. Ted Cruz is speaking. His speech is titled, This is the Zodiac speaking. Somehow, one of the leading frontrunners for the Republican nomination for the presidency was accused of being the Zodiac. Let's unpack this. So when I married Ted, we got back from our honeymoon, and he went off to the store and came home by himself. And I was completely shocked to see that he arrived back at our apartment with literally a hundred cans of Campbell's Chunky Soup. From the very beginning of his campaign, Cruz struck people as odd. He was the butt of constant jokes, even from his own fellow candidates. But those mean-spirited jabs somehow took life on the internet, and no one could resist the joke. Ted Cruz's age equals 45. People Zodiac killed equals 37. Ted has two kids. Cruz is from Canada, a.k.a. The Six. 45 minus 37 minus 2 equals 6. Ted Cruz equals The Zodiac Killer. The tweets and jokes were lampoonishly absurd, but somehow managed to convince a few people, it seems. A public policy polling from 2016 reported that 38% of registered voters that participated in the study had suspicions that Ted Cruz was, in fact, the Zodiac Killer. 10% stated they believed it outright, while the other 28% said they were unsure if he was or not. Nearly 40% of Florida's voters in the poll believed a presidential nominee was a serial killer. Obviously, most of it had to have been a joke. The murders spanned 1968-1969 officially, and Cruz wasn't even born until 1970. 
Ted Cruz was not a time-traveling, prodigious infant murderer. But the joke took longer than usual to lose traction. It's fun to mock influential people, but of all killers, why was the Zodiac chosen? Maybe the answer is just absurdity itself, a joke for joke's sake. But the SFPD was not laughing in 1970 when the official task force was put together. We've got nothing. We'll keep looking. We have nothing, not one damn thing. So what? We pivot. Pivot. We'll talk to Kathleen Johns again, see if she remembers anything else. Some time to clear her head, maybe she can think of something she didn't share before. She's unreliable. <sighs> Guy gets out of his car, searches with a flashlight, and she turns around and tells Avery no one followed her. I don't need that. How is Avery? At the examiner now? He jumped ship. Maybe that's the way to go. You don't mean that. Days like this, I do. Toshi would stay with the SFPD until his retirement in 1983. The Zodiac case would remain active in San Francisco until 2004, until it was shuffled aside for more current, pressing crimes. In 2007, however, it was quietly reopened for unknown reasons. There are no ends to the twists and turns in this case, but all of them appeared to hit dead ends. So then who was behind the ciphers, the executioner's bib, and the five dead bodies scattered across the Bay Area? While the case is still technically open in San Francisco, Napa County, and Vallejo, the Zodiac faded out a bit in the public eye. The last serious investigation into a suspect was 2002. As bombastically as he burst into the Hall of Killers, the Zodiac faded just as quietly. Whoever he was, he managed to fulfill his plan and move on, an allegedly free man. So who do we believe put on the Zodiac mantle? Despite the dead end with the DNA evidence, our money's on Arthur Lee Allen. The Zodiac watch, Riverside connection, and ammunition from the Vallejo murder are too compelling to write him off. But what are the saliva on the Zodiac envelope? Would you get this, please? You can't do it? Oh, no. I never licked it myself. The glue makes me nauseous. It isn't inconceivable that Allen would simply get a friend to lick the stamps. He was apparently fascinated by violence and elaborate planning. So why wouldn't he think ahead and cover his tracks? The reports city police pig cops are closing in on me. FK, I'm crack-proof. What is the price tag now? Zodiac. But what do you think? Who was the most likely man behind the Zodiac crosshairs? Weigh in on Twitter at Parcast Network or on Facebook.com slash Parcast with your own theories. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory, or through our website, Parcast.com. Again, that's P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. Join the conversation on our Parcast Facebook page. You can tweet us at Parcast Network, all one word. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us again. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Joel Stein, and written by Samantha Gurash and Kenny Martin. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Kimberly Holland, 
Mick Lambeth, Nicholas Massu, Manu Narayan, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson.